This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, October 10th, 2023 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here to help you navigate, navigate these trying times, these interesting times, these volatile times, both in geopolitical circles as well as markets. And our job here is to help you focus less on the head, <coughs> excuse me, on the headlines. Not that the headlines don't matter, especially in today's world, the headlines do matter, but they have certain implications for markets and economies and thus your investments. And in times of war, you have a lot of opinions. We all know that. We also have a lot of emotions because in some instances, it's life and death and others, it's simply using what's happen, happening to their own political agenda. And that happens as well. But what's most important to your portfolio and to your investment strategy and your goals is how does this impact the overall economy, different sectors, different asset classes, etc. So that's what we are here to help you do. By answering your finance and investment questions, we give you useful data as well as an unbiased perspective developed with more than 20 plus years of investment experience. And I could say I've studied markets over over 100 years. So you look at different periods and they often rhyme and, and they tend to be long drawn out periods, but you can glean a lot from that. It's not going to actually be the same, but it's going to once again, rhyme. And and so having that perspective is very important. I know it's important for me as a professional uh, managing client assets, and that perspective hopefully will be beneficial to you as well. Now, today we're going to talk about the market performance. We're going to run down some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Art from Tucson. I'm calling about uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, DKS. Looks like it's way down. And uh, wondering if this is a good time to get in or if this stock has further to fall. And I'll listen on the podcast. Thank you. All right. Looking at Dick's Sporting Goods, one of the largest sporting goods retailers kind of left. You know, a lot of them have consolidated over the years, gone bankrupt, et cetera. And this one is a pretty fairly large name, $9 billion market cap, 3.7% dividend yield. But I, the first thing I always look at is the level of debt in their balance sheet. And it looks like they don't have much. So that's a positive here. They're able to, they've been able to uh, right size their balance sheet. Now free cash flow is about a billion dollars trailing 12 months and rising. That's good on a $9 billion market cap. That's pretty good as well. Now, the issue is that the trajectory of those earnings are coming down in a big way. Remember, pre-pandemic, they were earning closer to $3 per share. 
2021, they earned $6 per share. 2022, $15.70 and expected full our full year last year. So their actual fiscal 2023 has uh, come and gone and they're, they earn $12.04. The upcoming year only supposed to be $11.85 and then flat again the next year. But those trends in earnings continue to come down. And I think that's my biggest issue on this is that the you don't know where those, where's that going to mean revert? You know, you look at longer term profitability and its return equity is kind of the mid-teens, pre-pandemic, which is good. It's a good business. But right now, it's 41%, much higher than that long-term average. So something structurally changed with their business overall, or will there be a mean reversion? And I, I think there will continue to be a mean reversion. And then you look over to the charts, and this did break down back in late August and has just been weak ever since. And now the 100 and the 50-day moving average are moving lower. It's now making a series of lower highs and lower lows. It is in a downtrend. So the positive here is it's a good business with low debt, but the negatives are the technicals are poor and the trajectory of those earnings look to be pointed downwards. So what I would be waiting for is when analysts start to upgrade earnings expectations. If you can find a floor in earnings and that earnings trajectory is turning around, then I would say this would be a good buy. But until then, I would hold off on it because of the technicals and that momentum on earnings. All right. Thanks for the call. That was Dick's Sporting Goods, DKS. Now, we have a lot to cover over the next 45 minutes. Our main focus point is in regards to target date fund, target date fund investments. And someone else make the case that target date funds have been great, big positive for investors. Is that true? We're going to dig into the details. Also, we have some other topics on the docket. One is in regards to how big, big banks are uniting to take on big tech when it comes to mobile payments and just simply trying to compete with those type of names. So we're going to look at that and what that means for the big tech players. Also, earnings season's coming up. We are through the third quarter. Guess what that means? Starting next week, we are going to get a swath of earnings announcements and what is Wall Street expecting for the third quarter. And then lastly, bankruptcies. And we know that that's part of every down cycle. There are bankruptcies that are out there. A lot of people make a lot of noise about them. Oh, look at this company going bankrupt. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. I actually think bankruptcies are good. Bankruptcies are good for the economy in the long run. When you allow companies that are poor allocators of capital to stay in business longer than they should have, Bed Bath & Beyond's a good example, uh, then the, that means there's less capital for other more productive endeavors. And so I actually see bankruptcies in the long run to be a good thing for the economy. But in the short run, obviously, it creates uh, more layoffs and, and, and reshuffling of the economy, which can cause stress. But we're going to dig into the details there and help you understand that. Now, we're also going to get to some voice bank questions. One is in regards to U.S. Steel and the other on bond maturity. And, of course, we're going to get into an iTunes review question as well. Now, let's take a look at the market today overall. It was a decidedly positive day, but small caps absolutely outperformed. Talked yesterday with Luke that small caps 
outperformed slightly, but this today was a big move. Small caps up 1.17%. The large caps only up about 60 basis points here. And this was on the back of a big move in the the 10 year. Remember the bond market was closed. It was a was it Columbus Day yesterday and the bond market was closed, reopened today in the 10 year which closed on Friday around 4.8 came down to 4.65 down 14 basis points. Uh this is the first kind of reaction to what happened over the weekend in Israel and and with Hamas etc and the market's reacting as such. You have the dollar down a bit today as well. So that certainly helped the commodity side of the market. Uh, you had you kind of had a balance, but mostly this was a day for the value side of the market. Slightly, not entirely, but slightly. So that was kind of the market today. Uh, what else happened today? Gold was up. You had, did we get a follow through on oil? Uh, if oil did dip back a little bit, but held most of its gains that we saw yesterday, gold, same thing, uh, dipped a little bit uh, and that held most of its gains from yesterday. So that was the market today. We have a lot of economic news coming out later in the week, but obviously what's happening in the Middle East is kind of dominating the narrative right now. All right, now we go to a break. Let me remind you to check out our new Investop Classroom series, and episode 10 is live. It's on index construction. We talk about how money flowing into indexes moves markets, and it's vital to understand how these construction these indices are constructed to know what you are invested in because those flows are so important to the dynamics of the markets and different slices of the markets. All right. So learn more about the index construction, search invest.classroom on our YouTube channel. And now the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein talks about the KPP Financial Premium Newsletter. I want to remind you that this is a time where you probably need some guidance and you're tuning in to try to get our view of the markets. And we only have an hour here. And, and sometimes the way I distill each day can be maybe not enough, maybe not enough time. And so our premium newsletter is a great tool for especially newer investors trying to learn some things. The KPP Financial Premium Newsletter comes to your mailbox every Saturday. Learn how to analyze the market, learn what the economic numbers mean, learn how to manage a portfolio, maybe get an idea of what are good companies to be at least looking at. Maybe you don't buy it today, but you should always have a watch list of companies that, hey, these are interesting, these have good businesses. And if they get the right price, maybe I should buy them. So our newsletter is a great tool for that. Subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. So our main focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Are target date funds good investments? And the answer is, I still think overwhelmingly that this is a good evolution of the fund lineup and not, and just like anything, there's flaws. 
there are drawbacks. You know, one is obviously it's a one size fits all solution for people uh, taking into account their retirement age only. That's it. And fun families love it because they're able to cobble together all the assets from somebody, typically in a 401k, and put them under their their roof as opposed to just their large cap growth fund or just their small cap value fund, right? They're able to say, hey, here's your one-stop shop, set it and forget it, okay? And they can also be, because of that, because they're fund of funds, they can be expensive, but depends on which, fund, which target of funds you're talking about. But for the average investor who knows nothing who's inexperienced and especially in the 401k where there's a lot of inertia, you set it and forget it. Most people just invest in their default fund and never touch it again. And that is typically better than the alternative. Somebody who's has low education in the markets and most what most people do if they don't have a target date fund is they look at oh what's the fund that did the best in the last three years or five years or ten years, okay, and we all know based on how these things work is that longer term the funds that do the best in the last three five years are probably not the funds that are going to do the best in the next three to five years. That's just how cycles work, okay. Now for 401ks, they did a study and just 12% of participants didn't any, any trading at all last year. That means 88% st- stuck to what their plan was going into the year. And some of that has to do with because it's their in target day funds. And others, it's just, once again, inertia. Now, the good thing about target day funds is they rebalance consistently. And that's the biggest lesson you can take from the success of target data funds is that when things are going well with a particular asset class, what do target data funds? They rebalance because they're focused on the glide path. So for example, in 2020, you had equities go down during COVID bonds rallied because the fed cut rates dramatically and a typical 60, 40 portfolio came into the year. And at a certain point in the year, it was down to 54% equities, 47% bonds. Now, the smart thing to do would be to say, let's sell back and get that, rebalance that into alignment back to that 60, 40 mix. But most people aren't going to do that. Why? Because they're going to look at, look at equities. Oh, equities are down. Look at the return over last year. I don't want to own that. I want the safety of the bonds. Look at they're going up. But in reality, the opposite was the case. So it pays to be contrarian, but it's hard psychologically to do that. So that's probably the biggest value they have is that automatic re rebalancing that most people don't do. But you could do it if you had more uh, more discipline. Now, a good financial advisor would take into account other aspects besides just retirement date, things like personal risk tolerance, goals, risk capacity, etc. But you know, that's only for those that you know have a substantial amount of money. So I think overall, 
these targeted funds are very good, but mainly for 401k investors and, and don't ha- they don't have an advisor that, ha- you know, if you have hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's probably better to have an advisor. But if you don't, you have a small amount, targeted funds often are much better than you making rash decisions by chasing returns, which, which is what most people do. All right, we're heading into a break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve. Hello, Justin. Love your show. This is Andrew from Walnut Creek. Like your thoughts on U.S. Steel, stock symbol X, a lot of activity in the news about uh, a possible sale, and uh, fundamentals look good, in my opinion. i uh, just like to take your thoughts. Thanks for everything you guys do. All right. I know there has been some chatter as of late in regards to a buyout of U.S. Steel. I forget the details here, but it's it's rallied. I know it's rallied from the low 20s all the way to the low 30s now, 33 and change. I think this is close to a 52-week high. Yeah, close to. It did peak out in March of last year. So yeah, but well, uh, well, definitely at a 52-week high, uh, but approaching those resistance levels. After this move, in a business that is very volatile, it's very up and down, it's earnings and cash flow are extremely volatile. And I've said this for a while, US Steel is in that second tier of the steel makers. So if you wanna get exposure to steel, there's better alternatives out there. Now, if you're trying to play a buyout, well, that's speculation and that's something you can certainly do, but it's ran a lot and you know, will that buyout be much more, much higher than it is here? I'm not so sure of that. So I would pass on this after this recent run, unless you have some sort of inside news uh, uh, in regards to uh, a potential buyout. And until then, uh, I think it's too expensive. And once again, I'd rather own some of the other names within the steel industry that have historically much stronger track records. So uh, I'm passing on US Steel. Okay. Now, from time to time, we receive the Invest Talk question via web form. Here's one that came in. Came in. Peter D says, You've been saying that on multiple occasions to buy companies that we love. I absolutely love my car Lucid and my bank TD, and I'm thinking about buying these beat up stocks. What do you think? Okay, so first off, you don't just buy any company that you buy their products from. That's not how this works. Now, can you, can you get ideas? Can you understand the value proposition that the business brings and why that company? might be growing or stable. Yes, you can do that. But then you have to do the extra layer of work of understanding the business model. Is it sustainable? Just because you are buying something doesn't mean that that business is a good business. I've said this a billion times that I could go on the corner of the street and I could say I'm ha- I'm, get- I'm selling dollars for 90 cents. And do you know how long of a line I would have? Do you know how happy my customers would be? They would be extremely happy. And guess what? That happens in the business world all the time. Meaning, 
or we're going to grow just for the sake of growth. We care about top line revenue and that's it. And eventually maybe we'll turn uh, we'll, we'll we'll turn those loyal customers into some level of profitable customers where they're, they're loss makers now and they will be profitable customers in the future. Now, nine times out of 10, that fails because once they raise prices or change the value prop in order to make that business profitable, those, those customers simply go away because most businesses have low switching costs. And when you change that value prop, suddenly it's easy for them to go to a competitor or just not buy at all. So when you're looking at a Lucid, for example, this is a company who it looks like they have great cars. I see them driving around Laguna Beach all the time. In fact, the Laguna Beach, is it? I think it's Lucid. Yeah, the Laguna Beach theater, which has been empty for a long time, trying to figure out what to do with it. I believe Lucid's doing some remodeling into creating a showroom, et cetera. I think it'll be really cool, hopefully. The problem is, is they they burn an incredible amount of capital. And from what I, I, I don't remember the exact number, but they lose tens of thousands of dollars per car. And this is why the stock continues to just grind to new lows. Why? Because the amount of shares outstanding to deal with this cash burn continues to grind to new heights. In September of last year, so just a year ago, they had a 1.6 billion shares outstanding. Today, one year later, they have nearly 2.3 billion. So you're talking an issuance of 600, 700,000 shares. That's a lot. And as the price goes lower, well, the dilution is going to increase rapidly. And remember, this is, I've said this a billion times. The car industry is one of the worst businesses you can ever fathom and imagine. It is a terrible business. I can think of a million different business models that are better than this. They're cyclical. They're competitive. High input costs in working capital, in workers, in CapEx to build out the production, etc., so just because you love the business, love the company, love the product doesn't mean that they, it's a great business. Actually, Lucid has a horrible business as of now. Now, TD Bank, that's a different story. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an okay bank. It's a Canadian bank. I don't love these banks. Uh, so I don't see this as a good buy either. And that's just understanding the overarching uh, trends within the industry right now. So I'm passing on both of these. All right, moving into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. 
Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. 8899 chart, 889924278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's talk a bit about a new endeavor by some of the largest banks out there mainly JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and some others. And next year, they plan to launch what they call, is it, it might be PAZE, PAZE, P-A-Z-E is how you spell it. I'm going to call it PAZE. And it's a mobile wallet that will connect directly to credit and debit card accounts of over 150 million customers. And this was going to be operated by what's called Early Warning Services, a bank consortium consortium group that already runs Zelle. Remember Zelle? I hope most people have been, been using Zelle over the past couple of years. And it's the latest sign that big banks see partnering up together to be a good way to counter the, the large tech companies, Apple, Google, etc. cetera. Uh, and regulators want to know want them to know who their customers are. And so that's been the issue with these latest fintech partnerships. And that's where a lot of these large banks have been going as of late. Um, but it's been fits and starts and mostly fits. For example, JP Morgan in 2017 paid $400 million for WePay and it tried to build up Chase Pay, use that technology to build up Chase Pay, and to compete with Apple Pay and Stripe. And just four years later, in 2021, they actually shut down Chase Pay. So it didn't really work out. Now, JP Morgan's still been working with companies like Amazon, Apple to help them expand their offerings. Same with Citi, part partnering with Amazon. And that means help allowing these large tech firms to originate loans. And that's been a main part of their growth. Their growth in lending has been partnering with these uh, with with these fintech companies or launching their own. Obviously, Goldman Sachs launched Marcus by Goldman Sachs. That was another foray into the consumer lending environment. 
But banks have long dominated the financial, the, the payments part of the financial services industry, especially when it's consumer facing. But with the rise of Apple Pay, that's suddenly coming under threat once again. Now, Apple Pay accounts for just 6% of global purchases, but users of Apple Pay have climbed rapidly from 60 million five years ago to more than 500 million today. And obviously, Apple is trying to expand their services. They have a buy now, pay later service. They partner with Goldman Sachs to offer high interest savings accounts. So there's more ways that these tech companies are trying to weasel their way into our wallets. Now, the banks have had success with Zelle, which launched in 2017, and it's overtaken Venmo. Last year, payments on Zelle rose 30% to $629 billion, compared to Venmo, only $244 billion. So that's one reason why PayPal stock continues to be under pressure. And so the big question is, will this latest endeavor into pays? Yeah, it makes sense. Pays, pay, pays, P-A-Z-E. And will that be the killer app? Well, history says probably not, but they will continue to push this in this direction and utilize their ability to connect directly to customer bank accounts. And it'll be interesting to see what that fight looks like and whether they'll be able to gain traction like they did with Zell. All right, this is Invest Talk now with more than 56.2 million downloads since it all began. So let's play another question now. Hey, Stephen Justin, Bill from New York here. Hypothetical question. Say I have a 1.2 million and I need to live off of, uh, say, around 50,000 per year. Would going 100% into bonds and essentially buying one bond at $100,000 with a maturity of a year from when I buy it at, say, 5%, Buying one of those at $100,000 each month essentially be a safe strategy to get that $50,000 plus per year that I need to live on income. Essentially, I'd like to live off the 1.2, you know, for the rest of my life. So wanted to make sure that that principle was uh, 100% secure. Definitely want to get your thoughts on this because it's an interesting concept. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your answer and uh, really enjoy the show. Thank you so much. Well, what you're describing there is simply a bond ladder. That's it. Simple bond ladder. Now, that can be good to so you don't have to worry about duration risk. The issue, though, there's two issues. One is what type of bonds are you buying? Are you just buying treasuries? Then there's no risk of default. You're always going to get your money back. Now, inflation can run wild and your money could be worth less. That's certainly possible. Remember, what you uh, pay, are, are spending today, what 50000 will get you today, is very unlikely to get you the same a decade from now because of inflation and we're in a secular inflationary environment and that becomes a an issue. So... How do you grow that capital as well? What's your hedge against inflation? You have no hedge against inflation. So that's one main issue that I see here. And then also, right now, short-term bond rates are 5 5.5%. But they're not guaranteed to be there forever. If the Fed embarks on a cutting cycle next year, guess what? By the end of 2024, rates might be 4%. 
or 3%. And then suddenly, you're not covering your expenses with that. So there's a lot of a lot of variables to consider when you're trying to produce that level of income for yourself, to develop that financial plan, to retire. It's basically what you're saying. I want to retire on 1.2 million and I want to earn X percent and I want that to be, be consistent. And that is certainly a good starting point, but you have to adjust for those different variables. Now, what I would say is you probably need some level of income that will match your needs and you could probably lock that in for a longer period of time than just a year. Okay. And that will cover a lot of what you need, but it's more about once again, that full financial plan, indexing your expenses to likely inflation three, 4% per year. What does that look like? Is there a growth of your money? So what I encourage you is to reach out to a professional financial advisor like myself or Steve, uh, make sure they're a fiduciary, make sure that you're not going to a big brokerage house that's just going to put you in loaded mutual funds or something like that. Uh, developing a financial plan will be very important. Um, so yeah, I encourage you to do that. You can go to our website, kppfinancial.com or investtalk.com. Click on the button on the top right of the screen, portfolio review, fill that out, and we'll set up a call. So that's what I would recommend. All right, let's keep things rolling and play two in a row from the Investtalk Voice Bank at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. Adam from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Quick question on ticker symbol LYV. That's Live Nation. Seems to be doing pretty well. You know, they're in the events and concert industry. Balance sheet looks okay. Just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Let me know when you can. Appreciate all you do. Thanks. All right. Live Nation. Here is my issue with Live Nation. Monopoly risk or, or, or just risk that their monopoly could be broken up. This is the largest live entertainment firm in the world. Spans 48 different countries. Owns Ticketmaster. It owns a lot of stadiums and, and uh, locations where concerts are held. And they collect a ton of fees. A ton of fees. And so it's a very good business. But with what's happening with the FTC... And these lawsuits with big tech and the crackdown on monopolistic power or practices, uh, this is in the crosshairs. And that scares me. But the good thing is, like you said, they have a good balance sheet, not a lot of net debt on their debt on their balance sheet. And it reasonably valued about 13 times enterprise value to EBITDA, not bad. But there's been a lot of pent up demand for shows for concerts over the past few years, and they've benefited greatly for that. But even then, earnings next year expect to be a dollar seventy four. It's an eighty six dollar stock. You're talking about thirty times roughly forward looking earnings, a little less than that. It's pretty high. With the risk that the FTC could continue to come out at them. 
And then their business is clearly going to be cyclical. Less consumer spending, less concerts, less shows, etc. It did break down big on volume back in late July and has not recovered that. So the technicals had gone from fairly bullish to neutral to bearish at this point. And if you zoom out on a weekly chart, it topped in early 2022 and has never recovered and continues to be in, in a downtrend. So why I like the business, I don't like the regulatory overhang and the technicals, which are now once again, neutral to bearish. All right. Thanks for the call. All right. Let's talk a little bit about earnings season. We are through the third quarter and equities are still up throughout this year overall. Modestly, after this recent pullback, but they're still up. And we're going to have earnings for the third quarter. And so far, Wall Street projects a 0.3% year-over-year drop in earnings. That would be the smallest decline in the past four quarters. So what you're seeing now is due to base effects and relative strength in the economy, especially in the third quarter, we had pretty robust third quarter overall. All those factors combined mean, hey, the drop in earnings is going to be pretty small. And if the majority of companies beat expectations like historically they do, well, you could see a slight positive in the earnings growth print. Now, what are investors going to be focused on? They're going to refocus on underlying profits, growth trajectory going forward into 2024. Businesses. See, they're not far off from 2024 beginning. They're going to start to really hone in on what their expectations, what their plans are for next year. And investors are going to know what that is. And they're going to pay a lot of attention to that. It's not about the third quarter so much as it is about fourth and 2024. Now, the week ahead, we have earnings from JP Morgan, Citigroup, PepsiCo, and Walgreens Boots Alliance, amongst others. We also have Earnings announcements on, not earnings, economic announcements on consumer and producer price readings that will have a large impact on the expectation for Fed policy going forward. So that's something that will be watched. And investors are going to get an update, a live update on what these companies are seeing with the consumer. We know savings are down from, from pandemic highs. And spending was strong in the summer, but student loan debt is restarting. And how is that starting to impact overall spending is a big question. Now, early quarterly reports have shown a mixed picture. Nike shares, they were, they jumped after beating expectations. The food company ConAgra, they reported weaker than expected sales results last week, citing Industry slowdown. Shares dropped to a new 52-week low after that report. Analysts expect communication service companies to report the highest year-over-year earnings growth in the S&P meta platforms being the biggest contributor. The energy segment will experience the biggest profit decline compared to last year. Why? Because oil prices have come down. Remember, that's all mostly priced in. Those are expectations that are in the market. So don't use that as your 
your cry for which, which, what to buy, for example. Another factor will be the dollar. The dollar's been strong, and how will that impact earnings overall? So this is an interesting earnings season coming up here in just the next couple of weeks. All right. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Beernut1379 says, can I please get your opinion on Alaska Air? A-L-K, A-L-K. And this is plumbing to a new 52-week low. It's at 30, right around $35 per share. Earnings expectations for this year and next year continue to come down. No dividend here. And I'm not a huge fan of this particular name. Historically, it's a relatively poor performer. Love, L-U-V, Southwest is typically the best performer within this space. And with a slowdown in the economy, I see this one continue to struggle you're seeing jet fuel prices go up. That's certainly going to be a headwind as well. So I'm not a fan of the technicals here. I'm not a fan of the business. I've never been a huge fan of airlines overall, and especially uh, right now with the economy slowing. Now, the good thing about airlines is that they've kind of turned their mileage business into a, a mini bank, and they make most of their profit from that type of uh type of program but these small regional airlines they tend to struggle because that's a much smaller part of their business you know they don't have a ton of you know alaskan airline uh, credit card holders for example compared to the united's of the world all right now we're heading into a break so give me a call now at 888-99-CHART is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hey, like love the show. I was trying to reach Justin, Steve, or Luke. I got a question for you guys. I hold a stock the ticker symbol is NXST. That's Nexstar Media Group. It's a diversified media company with television broadcasting, television network, and digital media assets that operates in the United States, and it has AM radio stations. And so I was thinking, you know, it seems that uh, media and that kind of stuff is really going independent, and, and maybe that uh, the dynamics are changing. Should I try to reinvest? I would greatly appreciate if you could look at the fundamentals of this company. And uh, I look forward to hearing your answer on the show. Thanks. Bye. All right. This is Nexstar Media Group, NXST. And we actually own this for clients. We're picking it up uh, various dips throughout this year. And we like it. It's the largest station owner operator here in the United States, 200 stations in 116 markets. And these are your local broadcasts affiliates. So CBS, Fox, NBC, ABC, and obviously they produce their own national uh, national news and national um, programming, but there's local programming as well. And most people who have cable, they want that local programming, and that's a big value uh, of cable. And so a lot of the cable companies 
keep these because of you know the big shows that they have on these uh, these uh, these networks and so they continue to get good revenue ad revenue and in especially in an election cycle they are getting a lot more ad revenue so for example last year they made during an election season midterms 24 they made 24 dollars and 16 cents per share now that's dipping down this year, but expected to rebound next year to all the way to $28.17 because you're going to spend even more for a presidential cycle. And so we really like their business. Uh, on their, They do have some independent news, uh, independent media outlets. We're going to call it outlets. Um, basically channels on YouTube, for example, that are also growing. Uh, the ri- rising is is one example of one that's uh, doing very well. Uh, that's that's independent, um, and they only have actually one AM uh, radio station, so not much uh, really on that front. It's come down. Uh, a lot of this has to do with the fight with the with Disney and ESPN and the uh, what was it Charter? I think it was Charter Communications, and so that kind of weighed on the industry most recently. But probably a nice rebound now, and I think this is a good buy. Looking into next year, earning twenty eight dollars, trading at one hundred and forty two dollars per share. So, uh, fan of Nexstar Media. All right, now let's talk. Lastly, about bankruptcies, big business bankruptcies, and you've had Silicon Valley Bank. Bank Bed Bath & Beyond, and Yellow, who all sought Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection this year. And you're starting to see more corporate, big corporate bankruptcy filings, and probably more on the way because of high interest rates that are going to push the big companies over the edge that are over-levered. Now, this obviously feeds into the overall economy because companies lay off workers when they file for bankruptcy, whether it's Chapter 7 or Chapter 11. Now, the rise in bankruptcies, frankly... It's, this is an 08. It's very different. It's even not 2020 during the pandemic that led to widespread layoffs. Big business bankruptcies were actually unusually low last year. So a lot of this is just normalization. And as I said at the top of the show, this is a good thing for the economy. Modest amount of bankruptcies that will redeploy capital into better parts of the economy, more productive parts of the economy, or bring in management that simply has a better vision for the business and the brand is good for the economy. Now, you don't want a downward self, uh, a downward spiral of the overall economy. That's certainly true. But a modest amount of bankruptcies is fine. And if you look at the amount of bankruptcies compared to history in the first half of the year, we had 16. And compared to the 2005 to 2020 period, the average amount was 11. So it's a little higher than the the first uh, half averages, but nothing too crazy overall. So don't get caught up in this bankruptcy cycle. So far, at least, it's been more of a reversion of the mean than anything that is going to cause some widespread banking crisis. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, 
It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.